WNBC. Freedom! Freedom! I'll crush you like a Are water. You guys Howard Stern fans? Because I love oh, yes. that. Yeah, that's that We're very much Howard Stern. I have a Howard Stern um, reference later that I'm going to bust out on you guys. But we'll Dude, you that. sound like him. Dude, appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> he comes up in our conversations at least once per episode so yeah he's like superman shows up in seinfeld every episode right. somehow there's some kind of howard stern reference <laughs> in our shit. You, you sound like william wallace i mean i, I wouldn't want to be standing across from you man i think like you would like cut me down with a sword <laughs> i mean i look more like yamish if i stand up but yeah <laughs> i'll take that as well yamish is the fucking man that's right i take right. yamish let me do a quick intro the Parlopanides brothers. Did I pronounce that properly? Perfect. Yes. Damn. Two brothers, storytellers in arms that we're fucking jealous of because of their Greek heritage that they get to just crush Greek mythology stuff left and right, which we grew up. That was our bread and butter. Um, Clash of the Titans, seminal shit. I'm sure we'll get into that. But you guys are known for Immortals and now the creators of Blood of Zeus. And there's Death Note adaptations, stuff like that as well. But... You're definitely the go-to Greek mythology guys, right? <laughs> Listen, we've yeah. been very blessed that something we love and that's always been near and dear to us that we've been able to kind of play in that sandbox. And we always say, like, you know, with Immortals and especially with Blood of Zeus, it's not our story. You know, it's Greece's story. And it's just an amazing body of storytelling that, that we just love. And, you know, we just feel very lucky that, you know, kind of like – to be honest, it's so funny you mentioned Clash of the Titans. I think I might have told tell you Tell them the story, bro. Tell them the story. I was just going to tell you, if you weren't going to bring it up, I'm like, Charlie, <laughs> the, the perfect story for this. And guys, this can go as long as you want, but you got to tell them the story, bro. Well, you know, the, the first script we ever sold was a heist script. Um, we, we sold it to Universal. And uh, we were with Mike Asola, who you knew at William Morris. Yep. And, he uh, repped us and, for a minute. Yep. Yeah, and he, yeah, he sent us the, the, back when there was open writing assignments, he sent us the grid, and we saw Clash of the Titans remake at Warner Brothers. And that was like one of our favorite films ever Dude. growing up. And we loved all the Harryhausen stuff. Yes. And, um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. all the, it's just amazing. Like, Cheers to Harryhausen. <laughs> Cheers to Harry <laughs> Hamlin. Clash yes. of Burgess Meredith. Shout out to everybody. Oh, my home. God. Mm. Dude, that movie is so good. And I rewatched that recently, and it still holds up. I don't care what anyone says. That movie is amazing. Fuck yeah. um, there might be no movie I'm looking forward to showing my seven-year-old more than Clash oh, of the Titans. Yeah, he already so... knows Greek mythology. We read that shit at bedtime. And, yeah, he read that. Uh, do yeah. you guys read Percy? Which ones do you read to him? Um, Greek myths. Oh, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> real wow. shit. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway, go on. Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, no. Oh, so we good. saw that they were remaking, um, you know, Clash of the Titans at Warner Brothers. And we asked Mike, like, hey, could you put us up for this? And basically what he came back and said is that, listen, they, they won't even you know take a meeting with you guys because the sample you guys have is, is a heist film. Um, you know, there's no reason there's, there's no reason for you to, 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 to be considered for this. And we were like, that's bullshit. We love that movie. We're Greek. We lived in Greece. We, we grew up on these stories. And like that's basically why we wrote Immortals was just to have a world building mm -hmm. sample so that we could, you know, go up for those kind of jobs. And then we ended up getting in this competition because there was a there was a brief moment where Warners was going to buy Immortals, um, but they kind of slow played it. And, and the producers were convinced we were going to sell it there because they had done 300 there. Um, but they were basically just waiting because they were out to Louis Leterrier for Clash. And if he mm. would have passed, they were going to buy Immortals and have that be their Greek mythology film. But at, literally, and like that was insane. That's a whole other story and maybe two inside baseball. But, but the only reason we wrote immortals is because we wanted to be involved with the remake of clash of the titans because awesome. we love the original so much and then because then we had that sample then we could pitch stuff like that and and continue to kind of pursue those things so it was just it was this just was probably like what 2009 2007 2007 right before the strike right before, right before, the, before strike. the strike all right because i was gonna say nowadays they'd be like get some greek guys <laughs> to write, you, right. like, you just, just have to do all that lag work right? yeah exactly yeah. I don't, they wrote a high script who gives a shit they're greek that, yeah that's true but you <laughs> say the part of that story was and and the little part that got missed was that we were also up for a, a sly stallone open writing assignment and we told nice. our agent hey like you know we love sly and we'll get into it because it also kind of plays into one of our favorite movies and there's a great sly story as i'd mentioned you guys yeah but um it was a a movie where it was going to be in the future and like 
we really couldn't kind of wrap our heads around it. And we said, okay, we could either do this or we could write this mythology on spec. And they're like, that's the worst idea ever. There's like three films out there already in Greek mythology. There's God of War at Universal. There's Clash of the Titans. And there was like, there was something else. I forget what it was. Uh, yeah, and we'll rewrite those motherfuckers if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> and then we are like, because we didn't know any better. And I don't know, we're stubborn. We're like, yeah, yeah. But you know, we believe in this story. We're passionate about it. And we ended up writing that instead of taking on this other job you know, over, we, we did that job. over strike. Yeah, paying All job. right, what's this Sly Stallone story? The Sly Stallone well, story is great. Go ahead. It just speaks to storytelling. No, no, you tell the story, but it's just so important. Like, people don't understand. Like, there are certain fundamental story elements that some people get and some people don't. Sly and gets Sly, them. I don't does. care what anyone he says. Does. He's one of the all-time greats. Like, Absolutely. he does not get the mm -hmm. credit he deserves. So, Vlas, tell the story because you're yeah. the one that brought it up. Well, yeah, we, we both brought it up. Listen, we both love Rocky. You, if you if you watch Rocky, that I mean, film works. Right. That film still holds right. up. And you know, part of the barometer that 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 we use with regards to a film, where you know, at least I would say, I think this applies for Charlie too. It's like, does it move me emotionally? At the end of the day, mm -hmm. is, it, is it tugging me emotionally in some way? You know, is it making me laugh? Is it making me cry? Is it is it suspenseful? Whatever it may be, and so. And when we met Sly, he goes, writers are like, oh, writing's hard. <laughs> and he said, that's like, having, that's like having homework every night. <laughs> right. You Tell can feel it. it. And that's a guy that's done everything. He's acted, he's directed, but like, mm -hmm. it really felt like oh, writing was the hardest part of all of it. But anyway, we told him that we love Rocky. We told him that our favorite scene in Rocky is a scene, it's like three quarters towards the end, maybe even the seven eighths towards the end. It's like the end there where he's lying in bed with Adrian and he basically tells her, you know, who am I kidding? You know, I, I can't beat this guy, but if I can go those 10 rounds, then mm -hmm. I'll know I'm not, an, I'm not another bum from the neighborhood. I said, I love that. We love that. Like, victories, that, for sure. It sets up the end line that he can How win can... by it's losing. It's a loss, but it's still a victory. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, it's, it's the part of the film. Like, there it is. That guy's burying his soul. And he told us that the producer said... You know, because they had been shooting in this location for a long time. They didn't have it. You know, they ran. They only had they only had his apartment for two days, and they had to film all the scenes that happened in his apartment in those two days. And basically, that was the last mm. scene they were set to film, and they had already gone into overtime. And so, tell them what what happened. Yeah, they said there's no time for it, Slide. We're just going to cut from the scene before, and we're going to go right to the fighting. And he's like, what? He's like, no effing way. He's like, I will not do the fighting unless we do this scene. Yeah. And then Hell the sound yes. guy, because Sly was knowing that, he's like, no, F that, let's go home. We're all fucking tired. So he's fighting with the sound guy like about whether they should go home or not. Anyway, the producers allow him to shoot that scene. He does it. The they next say one day, take. You have one take. One you take. have one take to do this. Yeah. He yeah, actually yeah. told us that he went down to the 7-Eleven, got a Colt 45, pounded it, came back <laughs> out. <laughs> nice. Cheers. Anyway, Sly. The That's next amazing. day, he said, the producer came up to him and hugged him and said, that's the best scene in the movie. Yes. And, you know, right. so like it was just like, so ever since then, he really liked us. He goes, you know, because we picked his favorite scene in Rocky. But oh. it also, too, it was, it, as, as Charlie said, it, it really speaks to storytelling and what matters and what, you know, mo what moments are important. Right. And, you know, there's um, another tiny little flair out of all the Rocky movies. One of my favorite little details is in Rocky Balboa. It's when Adrian's dead. And just the fact that he keeps a chair in the tree next to her grave. That's yeah, so sweet. It says so, so much. Like, Isn't that, that true? Yeah, that's so much information. Remember. That's yeah. a great example. It is. And I don't know if that's in the script or if that's something Sly just came up with on the fly or something, but either way, it's brilliant, man. Yeah, mm -hmm. he understands. That's what it's all about. That whole series is about them and that yeah. journey they went on as the wife of this guy who's trying to be a star and a heavyweight champion, you know. And his whole tactic is getting his ass beat, you know, until the yeah. other guy wears out. I mean, <laughs> bro, tell him what our that's gotta be hard to be the wife. What he pitches, you know, when oh, it's, well, this is more, season two, season three. This is, this is, you know, now TV. Like, it, you guys will appreciate this. You guys have developed TV, but like now, like, you know, when you, when you sell a TV show, they like, they're like, what's season two and season three. And like, you know, it's insane. Like, you know, you know how much work goes into just figuring out a pilot and having like a sense of where the first season goes. And, you know, we've lamented that before. And there's a mutual friend of ours. You know, and we'll tell you who it is off camera because I don't want to, like, throw him under the bus. All but right. we were complaining about that. And he goes, oh, it's, it's easy. He goes, when they ask you what happens in future seasons, you just use 
a movie from the Rocky series. So either you pitch that, that like, okay, listen, the first season he did the impossible, and and in the second season he's doubting himself and he's not sure if he can if he really is who everyone is saying he is, and that's Rocky too. Or oh, we thought this guy was bad. We'll wait till this other guy shows up. Maniac, or then his mentor dies, and he goes, "You the fourth, it's the Russians." And they think you're thinking it all out. His brother-in-law gets shit-faced and pisses himself in the corner of the bar. He's got every beat. Always the best. Burt Young, long live Burt Young. His his big Sopranos. If you've seen that, where he had to go do his last hit, that was amazing. Speaking of Sopranos, you guys are Jersey boys, right? We love the Sopranos. That's like our favorite show that Thanks. i would say mad men game of thrones is like three favorite shows yeah Love. sopranos top candle feeny oh my goodness he was so Genius. good he was it's, so good well i mean we're supposed to be here to talk about braveheart yeah, as an yeah, icebreaker yeah. but it doesn't matter there's no rules yeah. to this shit um we broke the ice with you guys easy anyway um but it does speak to casting like Gandolfini. like if you put anyone else in that role and we talk about the marvel universe a lot half of their genius is in the casting man like hemsworth is thor robert downey Jr. If, without that it could have been a rocky start you know eli kazan he, he always said 90 percent of directing is casting and right. it's the truth and you know the thing that's crazy like you know uh we love the sopranos we used to watch it every day at lunch at work we went through the seasons a oh, couple yes. times oh, like yeah. while we would go pick up lunch and just sit and watch an episode of the sopranos like you know it's, in the, it's middle the best of the day. ever man I mean, oh, it's, it's just hits so that sweet good. spot man it so, does so it's, good it, it's a lot of sweet spots oh absolutely it's, it's just like it's the best show ever period end of story Agreed. for us but Agreed. what was always like kind of fascinating is that like you know we were watching this like documentary on the making of the sopranos and um you know gandolfini he just he didn't have a lot of confidence in himself he'd always kind of played bit parts and david mm-hmm. chase would always tell him like listen you don't understand like what you're giving me is gold like you're, this you're is heavy gold. dude yeah. And he goes, you don't realize how good you are. And he couldn't like, he's like, what is this guy telling yeah, you? He said that like, self-doubt. I think that was a crime oh, yeah. with him. And, yeah. you know, it's like, I hey, think you, some of you these had actors... bit parts, but you stole every fucking movie you were in. You stole it out from romance. Yes. Yeah. 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 He, and he's so good. But part of it, too, is that these actors, they get so beat down. Like, as writers, mm-hmm. we deal with rejection all the time. The actors, they deal with that tenfold. And sometimes, like, there's a guy in our show who I think is super talented. And he just, if he got the right show, he could do. I, I told him, I said, you have a Gandolfini in you. You're a guy that everyone sees in movies. You're like, oh, that guy's always pretty good. Mm-hmm. But if you give him the right part, but they need mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of player meet part kind of magic yeah. to come together. Um, you know, at least we have, like, the ability to kind of write whatever we want to write. Right. We don't need anyone else's permission. Mm-hmm. We don't need anyone else to to kind of you know hand us the reins but he's a guy that's just like uber talented and because maybe he was a little heavy and you know he didn't look like a leading man he always played bit parts that's the beauty though that like chris and i we're trying to i mean it'll never happen but a couple things we want to do with this is the advent of the creative middle class like can we make 50 grand a year doing this telling stories maybe even to a limited dedicated audience versus rags or riches with the studio system shit but uh secondly can we bring on a revolution of the ugly and the mediocre as leading characters. You know what I mean? Like that's what makes a Walter White so great. That's what makes a Tony Soprano so great is that they they look like real people like us and it's so much more relatable, but because there's nothing I hate worse than those promo shots of those shows where it's everybody, even if they're doctors, they have like the wind machine and they're all standing there like X-Men and shit. It's ridiculous. It's like, bring on, like, look at bubble. Steven Soderbergh went to a town and cast the KFC manager as his lead that's the shit i'm talking about that's great anyway that's my I think screen in tv but... you'll see a little you, you see more and more of that i still think in features if it's like you know it's it's still harder at the legacy studios do you know what i yeah. mean like mm-hmm. you know it's crazy what they still think about like you know what, i was gonna tell them that that harrison ford story but that's not ours to share you know but like they, they were like there was an argument oh. over his facial hair for blade runner and yeah. it's just like it's like crazy it's like you know it's insane how some of that old school thinking thinking still exists mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one thing i want to say though about gal Defini too man and i know it's a cliche but hard work pays off um so i, I studied with william esper he, he's uh, an acting teacher in new york he was kind of he studied under sandy meisner and so um gal Defini studied with him he took his craft very seriously and bill would always tell us just 
how hard that guy worked mm. and everything you read about him too like on set he would always go to chase i can do it better i can do this and he would really really imbue the part and mm -hmm. um I, if he I was supposed to be really angry or ornery in a scene he'd stay up all night so that he'd be in an agitated state and I, like he would go to those lengths yeah i remember seeing a making of sopranos and there was a scene he was doing in a kitchen yelling at someone i forget who it was but after the cut he just slammed the cabinet door like he was still in the mode like <laughs> just <laughs> shout out to gail hansen unleash that me. energy yeah, right. We had a right. lot of Meisner talk on here in our Dead Poet Society mm -hmm. reunion yeah. special. Yeah. Um, oh, Gail's a good guy. Gail's, Gail's a great guy. That's well, a Gail great used to be movie. at Relativity. That's where we first met him, and that's who right. made him mortals, right? What was that whole experience yeah. like? Yeah. With, this is inside baseball shit, but the Kavanaugh of it all and shit, like Tarsum Singh. I mean, you guys want to talk about immortals at all? Because Sure, we, we, we thought about whatever. I love the Mickey Rourke story. Mickey Rourke was great, man. He was such... He was... That guy, and, you know what's interesting, guys? Like when we were on set and, you know, when the camera was like, say on someone else, it was what it was. When Mickey Rourke got on set and the camera landed on him, he just had that thing. I, I can't, work, dude. <laughs> but I can't articulate it. It's just it something when you yeah. see it, you just, you just wanted to follow that guy and he made it look effortless. And it was, he has that. You know, he's honestly, he's one of the best actors. You know, he, he is one of our favorite. And he's just re always in the moment and truthful. Dude, he's amazing. Uh, he's actually two of the best actors. Like you got young Mickey Rourke and right. this new incarnation. And they're both badass. You know what I'm saying? But they're not the same person. <laughs> He'd probably tell you that. He probably said there's 17 of them. Uh, he, he was great. And that experience, listen, you know, there, there are parts of Immortals that we're very proud of. And, and overall, we still like, you know, that whenever I think of the movie, I, I smile. Mm -hmm. Part of it is that, like, it was just a crazy, like, the initial spec draft that we sold was like $150 million is what the line producer came crazy. back. And basically what Relativity said is that if you can get it to $75 million, we'll make it. And so we just kind of like, you know, Don't had forget a conversation. the finance fee. That's not yeah. really 75. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I can hear Johnny's voice, bro. Johnny Nunari, one of the, because that 75 million was actually really 60 million because they charge a 22% self-financing fee. So Johnny would be in the meeting. He's like, what's the number we have to make the movie? What is the number we actually have? So we really made that for 60 million, but there it was 75 with their, you know, finance fee, which is in the budget. But basically, we kind of sat down with Tarzan when we said, like, is there a version that, you know, where we could get from what we had to this? And we just kind of had to, like, chop that script, you know, in half and pull out tons of stuff. And mm -hmm. and and then there were things that, you know, concessions we had to make. And then there were two other writers that came in and rewrote us. And one, you know, I think took the story in a left-hand turn that, you know, kind of caused problems later that the third writer was able to kind of address. But there were still fundamental issues that that dude introduced that I think hurt the film. And, and even when, what was always cool was that Tarzan kept us involved and he would show us the drafts and we would, you know, give him cool. feedback and, and cool. he's a class yeah. act, like yeah. one of the best people you will ever meet. In oh, he's, town. Awesome. he's a great guy. And what was funny is that we remember right during pre-production, we, we kind of, we flew up to Montreal and we told Tarzan, like, listen, like we, you know, we read the latest script and like, these are a few of the issues that, you know, I think, you know, we could do better. And he's like, he's like, oh my God, Henry's been saying the same thing, but the studio just, they're comfortable with where the script is. They want it locked. They don't want any more changes. They just want me to shoot this. And, and so, you know, listen, again, it's something where there are things that, you know, there are times when I watch them, oh, I really like mm -hmm. this part and I remember this and this was fun. Now it wasn't what we had when we first wrote it and sold it, but like, that's, this business like yeah you, know. you got to write a novel if you want that and even then you'll be lucky if you end up with a publisher but uh, which is what we're kind of doing a lot these days um you know what it was guys it was more fantastical it was more lord of the rings in the mm. world of greek mythology but that stuff was too expensive right and then the, oh. then specifically there was more of a little bit of a character arc in terms of he starts off angry but then he lets go of his anger and in doing so he can overcome the adversity he kind of stayed mad the whole way through right so one of the things we did even when it came to blood of zeus we really wanted to kind of show that arc yeah. that was kind of our second fight at the apple with all right. of this that's right. cool to get that opportunity <clears throat> get in the movie writer, business. oh go ahead i was gonna say as writer brothers i'd be curious to know how you guys work together like what your process is like because jay and i went through periods where we'd both be looking at the script up on the wall on a projector and 
arguing over every comma and words. The early <laughs> days. They were like, was what are we days. doing? And, Bro, and now, we just, now we just trust each other to write passages and such, you know. We go I want to hear how you guys work, but tell them about beating off and Weiss. Remember I thought that? you said tell them about beating off at first. Like, what? <laughs> That's your process? <laughs> Us too. Helps, this is right? amazing. <laughs> yeah, fuck all this writing shit. Let's hear it. It's a circle jerk at the end of the day, right? Writing? Come on. Anyway, yeah, going. It's, it's funny enough, uh, Benioff and Weiss, they, they said when they first started writing together that they would fight and argue over punctuation. They yep, were like, that's they, where we were. it took them like a day <laughs> to just get through a paragraph. And then basically what they realized is that they couldn't work that yeah. way. And basically what they would be in the room just, together. Yeah. Yeah. They would talk about the story and then they would split yeah. it in half. And one would take the fir first half, the other would take the back half, and then they would trade and revise each other. Yeah. And to be honest, we've always like, you know, I always say, thank God we grew up in a, in a very tight, you know, Greek family. We, our parents had a bunch of kind of, you know, uh, small businesses and we all grew up working together. Um, so we've always, you know, been able to, to, to work together easily there, you know, like, like I remember, bro, our first group we ever sold live bet, like we both sat at the computer and we wrote the first 30 pages together and we were just talking it out and one person would be typing the other and we'd switch off, you know, and I, I still think sometimes that there's value when we're both just, you know, sharing a computer and just talking through a scene but to be honest, now, too, we're, we're more seasoned and we're better at mm -hmm. it is that we'll just talk through the story mm -hmm. and like, mm -hmm. OK, you take this scene, I take this scene. And then we, yep. you know, email them back and forth and then we revise each other and share and we discuss and we'll we even work on down track. multiple projects. And each one of us is a point man on our it's project. It's head. basically like we'll talk shit over, but then it's like do what you want and then check it out. And if you see something you really want to change, then change it. You know what I mean? It's almost very uh it's it's evolved too for yeah, us to be honest big like, time I think, evolved. Uh, yeah i think we've grown we've grown you know spiritually and personally and in other ways so now i think we've reached a point thank god where you know even if we disagree and sometimes we disagree and i hate when we disagree mm -hmm. because it just it just it's just hard and but it comes from and i know i could say this for charlie it, it comes from him just and me believing that that's what we think is best for the story. It's not like I'm going to get my yeah. idea in there. We've right? been there, and you spent two either. hours trying to articulate yeah, it, and it feels kind of bitchy and shitty. But yeah, you're right. Like, I know, I know but ultimately, ultimately, it, yeah, yeah, and it's not, and it's in service of the finished product exactly. in the end because and, it's like kicking the tires and you're testing each other and and you know and, and may the yeah. better idea win or if one of us has to convince exactly. the other why it's the better idea or whatever yeah and exactly. yeah if we're both objective then the better idea wins yes. which is usually and that how often happens yeah, yeah. And, usually and, how it happens and yeah. now we believe in the process more and, and i think so there's that and and i think over time yeah you hope that that idea and we don't care we're, we're yeah. guys that like we're not precious with our words we just want the best version. That's it. Yeah. Whether it comes from one of us, whether it comes from someone that we're working with. Another thing that's also helped us is that we've worked with some smart people and, and people that are good with story and characters like the director on Blood of Zeus. He was a great dramatist. So it was always great. Like, what do you guys think? And then we, yeah. we just leave it open. And we keep, it's a process too. The, the idea that like, you know, the more we've become big believers and kind of gone the opposite way of like, but we, we want feedback and notes and we mean that sincerely and we'll yeah. keep Cause like what we believe is that like, we will take the notes and be like, okay, this is, this is really spot on. We can implement it. This will make it better. This, okay, no, disagree. And the note behind the note sometimes exactly. like they have an issue. They can't yeah. quite articulate. You have to divine what the problem is. They're giving you a solution to a problem. They haven't quite identified. You got to find Chris, what the problem is and come up with a better solution. Maybe, you know, that's so Chris, true. Chris Morgan, who, you know, wrote all the fast and furious movies and wanted, we wrote a pilot for him at CBS. He told us something and it's very true is that like when you get the notes, just look at what issues and problems they're spotting. The mm -hmm. fastest way to mess right. up your script is to use their solves, yep. but mm -hmm. listen to what issues they're, they're touching upon because you, know, you as the writer get paid to fix it, but you know, don't use their solves, but you know, listen to the issues that they're pointing Absolutely. out. And I think that's very, very true. You, you do yourself a disservice if you ignore notes. Now that's a big mistake. We've learned that as we've grown too. We listen to everything. Now they may not be identifying the problem. Maybe they'll say it's something in act two that bothers them, but you realize right. as the writer, oh, it's something that we didn't do in act one. So if you correct the thing in act one, it's no longer a problem mm -hmm. in act two. So it's our job to identify exactly, like you said, the note behind the note, what is really going on. But we listen to everything. It's but I'm also curious, so how do you guys as brothers when you really disagree what do you guys do 
doesn't happen talk, that often, honestly. Not, yeah, it's we have pretty, very similar sensibilities anyway. Well, I was even asking Chris, like, what's your favorite of all the Greek myths? Just in case we got into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he said Orpheus. And I was like, me too. Oh, like, <laughs> like we, didn't, we hadn't even discussed this before, but we have the same the favorite myth and shit. Like, yeah. we finish each other's sentences, you know. <laughs> um, on this podcast, you can call it, we interrupt each other a lot. But because <laughs> <laughs> we get what each other's saying. It's like, all right, I got it moving on you know people will look at us sometimes and we'll be like and we'll be like really and we'll both say it at the right the same time or we'll both think the same thing at the you know and, and it's funny even before you know charlie mentioned i was thinking of like some of the things that right before he said it so i don't know if like it's also brothers and spending that time mm-hmm, together yeah. he's like a second wife some tom like, max and zaymot shit from isn't the there a third of you guys don't you have another yeah. brother does he's, he like feel the- like Fuck he's the guys. best brother. No, we, we always say he's the George Bailey of our hometown. He's the best brother of the three. And he does, he's just really, you know, a laudable guy. And he's in education. He was a teacher oh, and the principal. Now he's a superintendent. And like when we go home, he's, he's doing the real work there. that helps society. I'm like, yeah, he's the honestly, and and he he's the type of guy, he's the most unselfish person we know. He's just he's got a heart of gold. And, and cheers uh, to the educators. My wife works yeah, with deaf and hard yeah. of hearing kids. Oh, God bless, man. That's great. That's, That's what it's all about, you know. And pays a lot of our bills since writing doesn't pay us dick usually. <laughs> we <laughs> signed with a solo. We signed with a solo when he was a solo and crushing it. And we're like, dude, we're on our way. Dwellers. Yeah, the low dweller is huge for us, you know. Yeah. And uh, it just, it so many stories start that way. We're on our way. And then, <laughs> like, we went to Paradox. We had our first meeting ever at Paradox. I don't know if you know them or have worked with those shifty dudes, but, uh, Dan Rosenfeld used to be there. Our first meeting ever, we met with him and ended up eventually out of that meeting scoring an assignment. So we're like, we signed with a solo. We got an assignment essentially out of the first Robert E. Howard adaptation. There's a Robert E. Howard adaptation of a Western that I'm not fantasy shit. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then though, (laughs) it's true. It's a rough road. You know what I mean? You think like you're shot out of a can. It's like those dudes, like remember Kevin Moss on the Yankees? Uh, comes out and hits 24 homers by the all-star break as a rookie and then just sucks the rest of his career it, it felt like that <laughs> like wow. we just came out the gate crushing and then they started throwing us curveballs and yeah. we couldn't you hit know, them guys, some shit. it's <laughs> so true and it's more the norm so what, oh yeah what i used to work briefly on on wall street and a buddy of mine he had um this cousin and his guys his father was you know a big time writer i mean like huge very successful writer you know dan gordon and so every once in a while, you know, we'd have questions for him. I'd ask him a question. You know, we never had a mentor, unfortunately, someone to really kind of show us mm-hmm. the ropes. I always wish we did. Same. But man. like he gave us like such sage advice throughout our career. But one of the things that I remember is like, you know, when we sold um, that spec script that Charlie mentioned to Universal, and I mentioned that he's like, okay, great. And now he's like, now he's like, you have to see if you can stay in the business in the right. next five years. And mm-hmm. I was like, what's this guy talking about? I'm like, we, we, we're, we're in. Like, man, it's going to be good we... here. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. that's what he meant. So it's like, like you say, take an Uber in Hollywood and it's probably a screenwriter, a WGA screenwriter driving that shit. <laughs> it, it's, With the people podcast. don't realize the, the <laughs> average income for, for screenwriters is about 45000 a year. You know what I mean? That's the, the median income. Uh, right. It's it's much more blue collar. Now, listen, obviously at the top of the food chain, you know, there's there's tons of money to be made. Um, but then even on in TV, in the in the staffing business, the average is two Ooh. out of every three years a writer gets staffed. So basically you're unemployed a third of the time. And these are the working mm-hmm. writers that are routinely right. kind of going from from show to show. And that 45, um, like in features, it's like, yeah, you didn't get a paycheck for three years and then you got another feature going, you know, or you have a spec sale, which a lot of times is an option and it doesn't go into production. And you never get that huge other, chunk of change. You never see that other the first day. Yeah, exactly. We've been it's in the rough. Writers Guild 15 years. We had two years where we made zero. Now we right. had other years that were really good, but we had two goose egg years. And, you know, and it's like, and when you see your savings going down and down and down, you're like, oh, sh-, you know, like we got to find something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anything like we see your family's on the line, you have a mortgage and it's, it's, it's daunting. There's no doubt. Yeah. You know, I don't know how people get through it. You know, we, you know, we just pray. We have our mom pray, you know, and not uh, for the faint of heart for sure. Yeah. Pray for us so we could use it. <laughs> as long as you pray for us yeah. too, you know? Yeah. Ask him. Uh, never mind. Us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> shit man let's talk braveheart for a minute yeah, i watched it again for the first time it's the movie i've seen the most in a theater 
I saw it, I think, eight times. And this is like, we were broke as shit as kids. So one time I ran out of gas on the way home because I'd use like the last of my change in the ashtray to see it for like the eighth time and then ran out of gas. Um, and one time I took this chick on a date and pretended I hadn't seen it six times already. So that could be the movie I'm saying instead of whatever shit she wanted to see. But uh, man, still, I hadn't watched it in maybe 10 years, but I feel like we have tuning rods or divining forks inside us. And there's something about this film that hits the perfect frequency for me out of every movie ever. Like I cry yeah. watching it just because I yeah. love it so much. I just it doesn't even have it to be a scene that's designed to make you cry. Or, you know. Yeah. It, so we have the same t- favorite TV show and same favorite, favorite <laughs> yeah, no shit. Because, you know, the show is about people's favorite movies. And Jay and I always joke that we can't pick our own. It's pretty ironic that we ask other people to, but um, <laughs> you know, there was a short list in like Dead Poet Society, which we did a show on that oh. with some of the cast and, and the writer and such. Uh, and um, the Fisher King was another one that's way oh, up there. But so then long. watching this again yesterday, and Jay and I just had agreed in text earlier that no, this is it, man. This really is <laughs> the one, dude. It's the one. It's so stirring. I can honestly, say I saw this in my senior year, it came out my senior year of high school, and I went and I saw it in the theater. And I, I, I've never, I've never experienced, uh, you know, outside of, of, you know, Holy Week and Bosca, which is like we're Greek Orthodox, you right. know. I've never been moved by something or what people would call like mm-hmm. a, a religious experience. Like I walked out of that theater forever changed. My, my chest felt Same. like it was going to explode. Mm-hmm. And like, and then I just kept going back to see it again. And yeah, it's again three hours and long again. and I had to see it again immediately. Like what? And, but, but it's three hours long and it's, I was watching it again. I'm like, this is so good. And then I looked, Every I'm like, scene. I paused Every it. We were 45 minutes into the movie. And I felt like I had just sat down and started watching mm, yeah. like, that is like there are long movies. That's me. I know it's a long movie. It's a three-hour movie, but it does not, not. feel like a long movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it would just, you know, that movie changed me. And I was just like, you know, I was forever different after seeing it. So for me, it will be my all-time, you know, I sometimes I say it's a wonderful life, but it's a wonderful life or Braveheart. But I would say I, I wouldn't have followed Vlas who had an interest in this. When I saw Braveheart, that movie changed me. And kind of right there, that's where that's where the bug kind of, the, you know, the flame was lit. Yeah. It was just just amazing. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things about it, too, guys. Um, just a small little tidbit. Um, I actually just randomly emailed Randall Wallace, the writer, after I read his book. I love this book, his last one that he wrote. And he was super cool. He wrote back and, and I told him, that, you know, it's my brother's favorite film. My, one of my favorite films, too. It's definitely a top three. Told him he has to go on the Hard Out podcast to talk about his favorite film. Uh, yeah. What's up, Randall? Come on. I gotta know. <laughs> Come on out here. Go on he's, he's a really sweet guy. And, and, you know, the fact that he even wrote back, you know, I thought that yeah, was just super cool with him. Um, and then I was just kind of thinking like, you know, well, what is it? What, what exactly is it about Braveheart? And, and even some of the other films that, that I really love, like, and, and I think it's hard just to come up with one thing. I think the overall barometer, again, does it, does this move me emotionally? Stirs and, you, yeah. yeah. Does Braveheart do that? And then I was thinking about it a little bit more, you know, in preparation for this um, podcast. And they say that there's no higher virtue than unselfish love. And, mm-hmm. and especially unselfish love when you give your life for your brothers, for, for someone else. And I think that, you know, there's a component of that in Braveheart. And, mm-hmm. and I think maybe that's why it resonates so much. It's just like at the end of Casablanca, you know, where he basically lets her get on that plane. Again, it's that same kind of unselfish love. It's a detriment yeah. to him. Let me throw a wrinkle right. in here real quick, though. I think the beauty of Braveheart is not only that it works on that level, but also at the same time, it kind of is selfish. He's doing it for Murrin. He's like, mm-hmm. I love this woman so much. I'm going to change history to avenge her or whatever you know what i mean so but by default but by default he's creating a movement which is servicing his brothers and everything but i'm just saying it's layered like that that's why the movie's so great truly so true like the great ones are are layered go ahead bro no it's funny you could argue because like sometimes like listen like this movie like the storytelling is incredible and it's just like but sometimes like we as as writers you do these things and sometimes you look at a movie like what are the internal stakes what are the external stakes and like you know because like you know, you're, you're kind of trained to think in this way and you have to kind of lay that out. And it's interesting because like, obviously externally, he, he ends up finding himself. And I think part of it is like, this goes back to why we were talking about Greek mythology. Why do people tell stories? They tell stories because these are ideals to live up to. 
And and what's great about, you know, William Wallace in this is that, like, he just comes home. He doesn't want to get involved in the troubles. He doesn't want to, to you know, kind of get involved mm-hmm. in this rebellion. He just wants to marry this girl that he's always loved that showed him kindness after his father was killed. But then he's forced into action. And even even after he kills that that first kind of captain um, and very, goes very kind of old, you know, testament and slits his throat, just like he slit his wife's throat, mm-hmm. he tells the next clan when they show up, like, Hey, we're yep. in this. Like, you don't yep. have to be in but this. Go home. Save yourselves. But go home. Yeah. Just go go home. You don't have to do this. And but but they tell him, listen, this is now. This is on now. We don't have a choice. Yeah. yeah, and they're yeah. suffering the same way they they did. You mm-hmm. know, like they've been waiting what, for someone to step up. Yeah, I mean, could, and is there and anything so then more this, uh, like what just objectionable than than oppression? You know what I mean? The yeah. feeling of some other group of people She's just come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that really is stirring and. It's uh, it's provoking. great that he that he reads. It's, I'll tell you a, a quick aside. Um, you know, in our family tree, um, it was kind of funny. One time we were talking with our mom. There were two people with the same last name that got married. They were both Mignotis. And we're like, Mom, like, how did this happen? So, oh, no, it's not. It's, like, we're not, it's not hillbillies. No, no but, but what happened was that when the when the Turks, while the Ottomans were ruling Greece, they had a very similar kind of prima nocta type thing where the 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 bay who was like the the Turkish administrator would sleep with um, a girl right before she got married. And so one of our relatives, his sister was getting married and he didn't want that to happen. So he went to where he lived and he killed him. And then he had to flee to Asia Minor. He had to leave mainland Greece and and go to Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And the, the name he took on Mignotis was just the alias. It wasn't his real name. So even though two people with the same name were getting married, that wasn't his real name. That alias. was his, like, awesome. his outlaw name. You love know what it, I mean? He was like, oh, okay. Well, that's actually, that's much better than thinking we're like, you know, hillbillies uh, and marrying second cousins. <laughs> My and, favorite know. shit in our family tree is the outlaw type shit. <laughs> that yes. stuff's gold, you know, but yes. people live that. But, but he's this reluctant hero that gets dragged into war. And then, like, really, you know, that's the external stakes. He started this fight. He's he's almost now the the perfect guy in the perfect moment, who was trained by his uncle. Who yeah, is, I was going to say that because one thing Chris and I hate is the one movies where he's like he's the yeah. one, but in this, the seeds are planted. He's groomed <laughs> like for this man, by his but... father instilling in him this rebellious spirit. Yes. Is there a better fucking line to live your life by? And I look at our screenwriting career as this as well. You don't got to beat him; just fight him. I yeah, love I mean, it. That was amazing. That's what his dad gave to him, right? And then yes. Argyle comes along and teaches him to use his wits and his sword and to speak language. You know, that's he is the one because he's the one. He's like the guy who is equipped to do it, not just because of fates or whatever, you know. And what's great, that line, Jay, it, it's it's from St. Isaac. It says, You can kill us, but you can't hurt us. And that was what inspired that line. Uh, I was listening to a podcast that Randall Wallace was giving. Like, mm, nice. so sometimes it's like death is not like this this thing well, that yeah. like we're afraid of a, a price we're not willing to pay because that doesn't hurt us because we're standing for what we believe and it's just a beautiful, beautiful yeah, and a idea. life worth living. You know, yeah, yeah. exactly. Freedom That's... without freedom, is it worth living? Mm-hmm. Exactly, it probably is worth dying to achieve it. Now, of course, in this country, we have very different opinions on what freedom constitutes right. you know what i mean as far as masks and shit or an infringement right. on your freedom so <laughs> it gets crazy but i think yeah. we could all agree if we were to boil it down fundamentally to what you can accept or not because if you look at it william wallace is essentially a terrorist i was thinking about yeah. that washington this time he's burning he, men he's alive an he's sending he's heads an to motherfuckers mm-hmm. you know but he's doing he's using terror tactics even to intimidate yeah. but you kind of have to when you're part of a guerrilla movement against this fucking machine you know what i'm saying but he's and using he's what fighting the tactics he he's has at his disposal um yeah. yeah like another guy from that area of the world conor mcgregor it's like you beat him before you get him get in the ring with him you know psychologically that's some of what william wallace was doing but you know when those people the brits are throwing rotten food at him at the end and shit they're getting the headlines that he's yeah. probably a rapist he's and a murderer and all this and that so it's all complex like that's why i love that fixation on that innocent kid's face. There's a lot of yes. fixating on innocence. The soldier who goes to grab the reins of his horse as he approaches mm-hmm. to get his initial oh, revenge, mm-hmm. the yeah, casting of that face, the way he looks at him, the way it's shot. Yes. And then, yeah, when he hits him, it's just, it's like, I regret. Sorry. It's gotta be, yeah, it was I pain. wish it was that yeah. guy, but know, sorry, kid, right. you know, you're just here for a paycheck. So and- it's like everyone <laughs> but- is innocent to a degree. Yeah. We're all born as babes and children and just, you know, 
that the world gets to this place where you got that nasty fucking dude licking her face and holding her down and it's like what happened to you as a kid dude right you would be a person who would do this now you know and i I love that fixation on that child's face for that that point that's what he looked at and it's like you could look at the crowd they're all children you know right we all are really just a few decades apart what's that really right some body hair and shit (laughs) it's like what separates us really we all have the same traumas He's a great filmmaker, you know, so the fact that he made those decisions and he put that in slow motion, you can almost see the sort of frames per second in that moment. And 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 a great actor, man, like just the looks on his face when he was betrayed by Robert the Bruce. I mean, he He just wore it. You, he just wore it. That's a great. And yeah, point. all that stuff in the in the first, you know, the open, the act, the first act with you know uh, Mern and all that. I mean, sh- yeah. I mean, and, so th- there was the betrayal, the look of the of you know vengeance, and then just the look of love and hope and all that before you know the rest came. Yeah. He is a complex individual. Let's talk about Mel Gibson for a minute, not to interrupt, but you know we are on a buzzer and shit. Oh, speaking of which. I know you guys got family time and everything. It's Sunday, but feel free to stick around however long you want. Once the buzzer goes off, we do do an overtime section that people can get for a buck on Patreon. Some people have stayed a couple minutes, some have stayed hours, but uh, up to you guys how long you want to stick around and finish stories or whatever. But the Mel Gibson of it all, I have a Mel Gibson theory that makes me a Mel Gibson apologist to a lot of people, which is gross, you know, because of some of the shit he said. But I, at the same time, feel like he's such a humanist. And you can tell that from his work. That more than likely he's just a fucked up guy. We know his dad poisoned him with some bad ideology and shit when we go back to being children. And I think probably a mean drunk. So when he gets pulled over drunk as shit and he starts saying some of this stuff, is he saying what his heart truly feels or is he trying to hurt feelings and be mean and be outrageous? You know what I mean? So I don't know. All I'm saying is it's good when we give each other the benefit of the doubt sometimes in life instead of always just trying to torch people for their transgressions but uh I, I try not to make it because i love his work if he made inferior work would i give that same benefit of the doubt but i do feel like he's a humanist at heart he has to be just based on his work and what i preoccupies him and shit you know what he and said you know, what he said was wrong though i mean like do, you we, we can't get into his head and think of like okay he said like it just flat out wrong but as you know as a filmmaker you know and you look at at braveheart it's just that this guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's oh. doing, you know, as terms of in, in, as a storyteller, and he knows what moments to kind of milk. He knows the he understands the the drama of things, and he and he just knows how to tell a story, because he just didn't get lucky with Braveheart. You look at uh, Apocalypto. You look at like, <laughs> you know, it's Hacksaw Ridge. You know, regardless of what Dude, you man do, without a face. I fucking yeah, love that movie. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's never made a bad film. He's no. never made a bad film. Absolutely. So, what, well, we, no matter we what have you this... think of him personally, if you just you know leaving that on the side as a as a storytelling yeah. filmmaker, we do separate the art. We have that artists. conversation all the time. Yeah, about whether you, know, you should judge the art based on the artist, and oftentimes some of the best art is made by people who are you know, wretched and suffering and, you know, all these things, you know, flawed people, you know, often make the, 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 like, as Jay said, can access this part of their humanity in ways that other people can't sometimes. Yeah, let's just allow that life's complex and nuanced. You know what I mean? No one's 100% a monster. He has good qualities and bad qualities. He's a flawed fucker like all of us. But I'm just saying the condemnations of people, it's like, he is this, Roseanne, same way. Look at all the great work Roseanne did. Better life, feminist, um, put the first gay couple on tv and made their best friends in the show made sure they were black um showed the plight of the working class like few shows have ever dared to do but then you say some crazy shit on twitter and everyone defines you a certain way you know it's all the good is erased so again i'm not giving anyone a free pass on the nasty shit they say i'm just saying let's remember everyone is human everyone is a mess you know well, and you, you know, know that everyone... too, this idea that, you know, listen, that's part of the reason we sent you that uh, South Park clip. I don't know if you got I wanted to get to, to that, it. segue to that, yes. It's it's like, you know, no matter what, like Vlasa, the guy's incredible filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And, and the way we try and live our lives is that, you know, we try not to judge anyone. Like what he said is absolutely wrong absolutely. And, and it should be condemned. But I don't know, like we grew up in a very loving household. Our parents, you know, were, were right. very kind. We didn't grow up, you know, with someone that was like, you know, uh, hammering away these, you know, crazy ideologies in us. So, you know, exactly. if you grow up in a, in a in a kind of toxic household, like 
that's going to have an effect. Like, you know, and the other thing I'll say is that we, you know, we have an actor friend who, who shared a publicist with him who, you know, the, he, they had said that the publicist said nothing but great things about Mel, but they said that, you know, there's, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have to be perfect. This idea that everyone can be perfect all the time. There are things we aspire to, but we, right. we mis- make mistakes. Now what he did and what he said were awful, but you know, I, I'm not gonna, you know, condemn him forever for it. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know, know how if that he's works. acknowledged you know that. I mean? Has he has he said anything to that effect that any of us know of that, you know, that what he said was wrong and you know he he re- realizes it re- that's he spoken on it at all? I, I, I feel like he has for sure. And I know he's talked about his drinking and the role of it. Mm-hmm. I think he blames yeah. a lot of it on that, but uh you know I also people think- are it's hard to be super self-aware. You know, you know and I, part of it is I hate that everyone has to have an opinion and definitive yes. stance on everything. Like, That's what I'm talking about. You know, and, you know, like even to like, you know, I used to work for Scott Rune. I worked as an assistant and oh, I know <laughs> all the things that, you know, uh, people have said, like, you know, listen, he was a very tough boss. Um, and the things that came out, you know, it's not OK. It's not acceptable behavior. But I can't sit here and condemn him because like I learned a ton from him, right. you know, I, you know, I respect him. Like, did he yell at me, throw things at me? You know? Yes. But like, I can't say that it was all a horrible experience. And, and I feel that. Did he actually literally learned, throw something at you? I want to hear about this. Did you time. ever like just feel an urge to flex on him? Like you're a football this player, is, et cetera, right? Is, like you're like, I could put this dude through this table. This is my, <laughs> my honest opinion. And you know, that like, Scott is a genius. He's easily the smartest person I've ever met. And he is going 500 miles per hour in his mind. Mm-hmm. And if you can't keep up with him, he has no patience for it. That doesn't excuse the, you. you know, behavior. But he would, but, but part of it is, and this is kind of like trying to give something context, which is not like allowed anymore, is that like, so Scott sometimes, like, you know, he would do these like notes, like see me. And then there was see me now. Like, and then there was no fail or die. And no fail or die was the most urgent, you know, when you put NFSD, no fail or, or NFOD, oh, that shit. meant, you know, like, come see me right now and we got to figure this out. And sometimes he would get mad and he would throw stuff, but it was like major league, like 90 degrees away from me. Right. And to me, that was just He's like, throwing a tantrum. He's yeah, not yeah. yeah it's, it's like, it's not yeah. really, it didn't really, and there was one time he threw the, the crystal ball thing he had on his desk and it kind of not like came near me, but like, you know, maybe like four feet, you know, yeah. by it's like, just rock and brave heart. Like, Hey, rag on. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Watch it. And, and I told Scott, I go, Scott, if you hit me with something, we're going to have a problem. And he immediately apologized and he never threw something at me again. But when he was throwing stuff like to the side and just like throwing stuff off his desk, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just sounds that, entertaining like, to be honest. <laughs> listen, it's a hard job. But, you know, I see all this stuff about, like, you know, pay, you know, assistance, like, you know, time's up. And pay me, like, mm-hmm. he paid his assistance very well. We were paid very well. It was a tough boss. That behavior is not okay. <laughs> but you learned a lot. And, you know, I, I think that, like, I hope that he gets some help. Because the one thing I will say, the last thing I'll say about Scott is that the world continues to evolve. That is just life. Yeah. What drill sergeants on Paris Island used to do 30 years ago, they cannot do now. Like, and if the Marine Corps has to change, you know, Scott has to change because, <laughs> you know, like that's just the world we live in. But, you yeah. know, so it's like part of it is like, you know, I can't tell you definitively, like, is this behavior okay? No, it's not okay. I love the Ellen shit. He, the Ellen ones look like she wasn't yeah, super right. nice to She me. was mean. <laughs> like, she didn't kiss my ass. I'm pissed. Ellen's supposed to kiss everyone's ass. I didn't get my ass kissed. What? The one thing I'll say, though, for, for Scott, and it's interesting now that Charlie's saying it, like, I, I find myself just getting angry that he threw something mm. at my brother. Like, it yeah, that's... It really well, said not Adam was the point, I just but, think yeah, that yeah. that yeah. Uh, you know for You've me been throwing with, stuff with, when you're mad though come on yeah come it's on. like who are yeah. you like it's just that's not right you don't treat right. people that way I don't give a fuck who you yeah. are that's right, just yeah. my opinion on him and it gets me angry actually just even hearing it but I understand what you know Charles said but it still gets me angry for me like yeah. that, well what he said is he hopes he gets help and that's what but I'm here's saying what I'll say, though. you know what well but that's that's the thing. And for Mel Gibson, what he said was wrong, just completely right. flat out wrong. Sorry. Absolutely. But the one yeah. thing I will say, though, I look at myself in the mirror and guess what? Like, I'm a big sinner. I'm the biggest sinner there is. And Talk so I have to look at myself to try to make myself better and a better person. Right. And I only hope if those guys are sincere, and that's a big if, but if they are yeah. sincere and they want to get better, 
I, I just hope that they're able to and that mm -hmm. people will give them that shot. Now, you know, that's the, the path to redemption world. is basically what I'm talking about. You know, yeah, yeah. We, we all need to get better and they need to get better, too. And if they're sincere about it, they should get that shot. They just that's my big thing. Like, I don't want people and I, I can't really equate this to them but like if someone messes up i mess up and and you know mm -hmm. and i hope that someone can forgive me and i think just as a society we have to at least be open to it and if we see that the effort is genuine you know and they really do want to try to get better and they can let's try to at least do that and get that from them and, and yeah a lot of that work though happens behind closed doors so it's kind of like let's just be big enough to give them that and shut the fuck up and give them their space to get better too you know what i mean it has to become this movement of eviscerating this person to and i don't want to use the term virtue signal because everyone who does that shit usually their heart's in the right place or whatever but i'm not trying to get political here or anything but i feel like a lot of that's going on you know what i mean well, it's like do we all need to comment on it like you said does everyone's opinion need to be heard yeah. on everything like shut the right. fuck up the we all know I'll what's acceptable like and what's not so true. Like I love judge Judy. I used to watch judge Judy with my dad <laughs> yes. and we used to watch judge. Judy. That's an exercise in human nature for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but she said like just a little while back, like she's a little scared of how things and I'm paraphrasing have, have become because you can't have a, you know, a dissenting voice. Cause if you disagree with someone, there's a fear out there now where wherever you stand that the opposing voice, they're going to try to destroy you. Mm -hmm. And that's not a safe place to be. And that's always scary. And I'm afraid for our children. You want there to be an environment where we can have a discourse, where we can have different ideas and where we can at least respect each other and say, OK, you might not think what I think and vice versa. But at least let's as you said, best idea win. You hope that the best idea can come you know, up to the top. But that can't happen if we're destroying each other. Let's so, talk yeah, about exactly. all that sinning you've been doing. I know, that's what I'm saying. Let's hear about that. Let's hear about some sins. It's the that's, confession that's, You said you're the biggest sinner. I want to hear what, you do, yeah. what you're up oh, to. Oh, man. What is it, that gambling? Is, what is it? Oh, it's just, it was just a knucklehead growing up, you know, in the Jersey Shore. I, I'm not happy with some of the things that, you know, I did. And I just hope that, you know, I can get better and learn and grow as a person. Yeah. And that's that's what we believe. That's fundamental to who we are. Again, we're Greek Orthodox. And the, the first thing, if you want to have any kind of spiritual life, you have to view yourself as the greatest sinner and put everyone, put yourself beneath everyone else. That's a great way to just humble yourself at yeah, least because absolutely. everyone's entitled and thinking they're the center of the universe nowadays. It's very egocentric it's vibe all, out there, man. Everything's gotten twisted on its head. Some of this kind of like evangelicalism, it's like, you know, you, 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 you know, pray for something and you hope that it manifests and like what you want will be done. Like that's the opposite of what the faith is. Yeah. It's pray for others, they, man. You know, and may God's will be done, not what we want. We have right. to have the strength to, to endure, you know, but it's like this, everything's gotten twisted and upside down, but you know, it, it, it's just that this, I think, you know, the, the fundamental thing I remember from law school is that, you know, when they talk about like law and, and how it helps organize society and that we need basic bright line rules that can, people can understand easily and that people can rally behind. And I think sometimes now we're, we're like, everything is so kind of like, we're focusing on every little thing. Like, we got a lot of rules now, on, microaggressions. Like, <laughs> yeah, is that a crime? just be decent to each other, be good, be honest, don't try mm -hmm. and screw other people over. And like, let's rally around that because there are problems like, you know, in our country, real problems. But this is still a great country. We come from a place where, you know, our family escaped genocide. They, they had a civil war with the communists where the communists were trying to kill them. Like we've seen other walks of life. Like there are problems here, but this is still a great country. And like, yeah, are there things that we can be doing better? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean, you know, even like you were saying from Mel Gibson, like, okay, here is a, a country and it has 10 attributes. All right, there's two strikes that are really bad that we need mm -hmm. to work on. And I'm not minimizing that in any way. Let's work on that. But there are eight other really good things. But now there's this thing, like, if you have this one strike against you, we have to throw everything out. We have to wipe everything out. You know what I mean? And listen, with someone like Harvey Weinstein, send him to jail. He should never see the light of day. Yeah, did Fuck actual crimes. He wasn't, it's one thing to have a right. personality that's flawed yeah, yeah. versus committing fucking crimes against people, right. you know? Exactly. And so, um, like, but part of it is, like, not everything demands it's not all or nothing. And we're, we're going to this very all or nothing place exactly. in so many, you know, areas. And it's just, I don't think it's, it's healthy as a society for people uh, on a personal level, you know, all the way down, because like you just it gets you all spun in the wrong way. Yeah. I actually I, was going to bring that up to you. Um, 
I don't know how much time we have left or whatever, but your experience, kids of immigrants or right. Yeah. yeah. When I look at you guys, even just what I see on social media to me, and I know everyone puts their best foot forward on social media and shit, but it seems like that perfect quintessential American experience of, I mean, kids of immigrants writing fucking movies in Hollywood or whatever. Plus it looks like that Jersey, you didn't grow up. It was Snooky or whatever. You grew up, it, it strikes me like- No, born we the did, man. Did you? Right next <laughs> door see you guys, we were fist me, pumping. Well, all right, this is oh, what I'm shit. saying family-wise, though. Braveheart had me fist pumping, by the way. I was going to mention that <laughs> to these Jersey boys. Um, but the fact that your family itself looks so, just the, the tapestry is so tightly woven, you know, with you guys. I could tell that all the time, and it feels like, Born on the 4th of July, those early family scenes, that Long Island upbringing he had. I just picture something like that for you guys. Playing sports, going to the 4th of July parade, working with the family business, you know, and it just sounds so beautifully, quintessentially American. And Chris and I otherwise had the other, you know, single parent welfare American experience. But uh, it just seems like you guys come from great stock, man. looks like you got an amazing family. You know, family is so important to us and it always has been. And, and we feel blessed to have had parents that worked as hard as they work. They emphasize education. They, were, they weren't ignorant. They, you know, really taught us to, to be open-minded with, with everything, with people, with cultures, with you name it. And listen, as we all know, you know, you're a father. It, it's not what you say to a child. It's what you do. That's what resonates. And when you see your parents work as hard as our parents worked, that has an effect, you know, and that leaves its mark. And, and it goes back to the thing that we talked about at the very early of this podcast. It's that unselfish love. And that's what we got from our parents. So when you get that unselfish love from your parents and you are blessed to have parents that can also be role models, you know, that we, we had it, that gave us a, a competitive advantage. It just did. And I think for me, my favorite film is The Godfather. And yep. for me, The Godfather is very much about family. And, you know, that's why I just empathize with Michael's story, because he doesn't want to be part of that. He doesn't want to be part yeah, of He's looking to component. escape his family. Right? Yes, he's yeah. trying to escape. But in the end, in the end, if someone caps his dad, someone capped my dad, if someone yeah, did yeah, that to my brother, sure. oh, yeah. man, then th that's that's where, like, okay, I live by, you know, family values and a moral core. But if you do that, my family, oh, that's the one time where I feel like, okay, I could go to the dark side. And, um, and that's what I find is so incredibly compelling about that movie. You know, in addition to the writing, the directing, the cinematography, the I mean, all stuff, the top shelf. But, but family just, you know, really matters. Quick question. What's your other and brother's name? Triandafilos, Trion, Tree, or Tommy. We all had Greek all right. names. So and out, then of we Charlie, also had, like, the out of Charlie and him. My name's Kiriakos. My real name's Kiriakos, but That's it's amazing. too hard, so I just go by Shoot, Kiriakos. Oh, right. My middle name, <laughs> name, my middle is, name is Wally. Wally. It's Wally. <laughs> they watch a lot Wally. of the beef or what? what is <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm just looking at my parents. I'm like, I'm eight pounds. This is a Vlasis Wally. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, even... I was going to ask Vlas, if you're Michael, which one of your brothers is Fredo? I'm not Michael. Which, I'm not Michael. I'm yeah. like the hot. Who are you? Are you like, Sonny? You're Sonny? So, all right. Our, no, no. Which our other brother is Sonny. The, the one that, you know yeah. what's crazy? Our brother, our brother, Fredo. Tree, <laughs> uh, There's no Fredo, but Charlie's the smartest. So, he's Michael because no, he's the smartest. No, no, no. Um, then, our other brother, he had the temper. So, he's more Sonny. And then, you know. That makes you Michael. No, and it makes you Fredo. Makes me Fredo, you know. Oh. We don't have a Fredo. We don't have a Fredo. You know, I'm a mix. The truth you know, is, I'm a mix of the two. That's what it really is. We well, really hey, again, we're complex sunny. human beings, right? I have Jay, um, the truth is, Sunny and Michael and Charlie is Michael in that <laughs> so that he's smart and he's tactician. We live the American dream. You're Tom Hagen, is what you are, bro, in our family. Uh, <laughs> I'll take nice, it. Uh, Tom Hagen's yeah. a fucking man. Love Robert Duvall, so Rose. great. Dude, he's the best in everything. Everything. We were we he's were great. very lucky, Jay, and it's something that you know we did live the American dream. Our parents, you know, were immigrants and we were poor, and you know there there were times, you know, um, but they always hustled, and we always knew they loved us. And Voss used to always say this: like our parents never fought, and when they did, it was always about one thing. It was it was money, and it was the lack of money. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I tell my wife sometimes, though, even though we were poor, we had the best childhood. Like there was a summer, our dad, you know, he had a diner. Every Greek family, you know, they come to America, they open up a diner, at least on the East Coast. Oh, yeah. And then he eventually opened a hot dog stand on the boardwalk in Seaside. <laughs> and uh, and and All one right. summer, 
And one summer, uh, all this sewage and hypodermic needles from New York that they were dumping in the ocean washed up on the beach. So the beach was closed the whole summer. And so no one was buying hot dogs. Wow. And we also had a parking lot where people would park their cars. You know, uh, my, our brother Crazy. Tree and I used to work there. And so that summer we made no money. And I'll never forget from that summer until St. Patrick's Day when the boardwalk opened again, we ate our dad's excess hot dogs that he didn't Ooh. sell that summer. So we had hot dogs for every, it was breakfast. They groomed you to be a screenwriter. <laughs> yeah. It was it was hot dogs with ketchup or hot dogs with mustard. That year they're like, listen, like... <laughs>